Welcome, I'm Dave. I'm John. And this is Teaching Like Ted Lasso. Warning, we expect that you have watched Ted Lasso, at least through season two. There will be spoilers ahead and scenes that don't make sense if you don't have some familiarity with the show. It may be surprising that a show about a men's professional sports team has vulnerability as a central theme, but it's less surprising when you know that Dr. Brene Brown and her work is regularly discussed in the Ted Lasso writer's room. So vulnerability is the theme of this episode. Crystal Frommer and Dr. Raj Shah are our special guests for this episode. The first thing I wanna make clear to our audience is that vulnerability is not just about sharing the bad stuff. Right, and it's natural to go there first to think about it, you know, that you're willing to share your shame or your weaknesses. Um, But what is, like, what's an example that you think of for uh, being something besides that? We talked about it in our last episode about collaboration and building community, uh, the the Two Aces episode where they're... um, they're making sacrifices of things that are important to them. In the process of that, we get to, and this is this comes directly from Brene Brown, it's, it's letting people in, right? Showing people who you are and letting people in. The TLTLLT players perform a scene from season one, episode six. I was nine when I got scouted by Sunderland, and I'd never left London before. My granddad drove me all the way there, and it was freezing, and I was terrified. When I got there, he gave me this old blanket. He said it was to keep me warm and to remind me of home. And that was the last time I saw him, because he'd passed away by the time I got back for Christmas. So that is why blanking means so much to me. This is a picture of the 1994 Nigerian World Cup team. I pledged I wouldn't take this down until I made the team myself. And I still intend to do that. It's really astounding how they make space for really the whole team, you know, to, to, to give something about who they are. This isn't bad stuff necessarily. Mm-hmm. Roy's troubled childhood. I don't think that's a surprise, but getting a clearer view of that helps the team to connect. Mm-hmm. He's being vulnerable. Sam, on the other hand, is talking about a vision, right? Something he's uh, aspiring to. That, too, can be scary. So what we've been talking about, right, is this, this idea of vulnerability and belonging. Mm-hmm. Dr. Lana Horn talks about that in her book, Motivated. Mm-hmm. And belonging is one of those central pieces. And it's a little weird how vulnerability is kind of hidden there. I'm really humbled by how much we're asking our learners to be vulnerable. Um, Lonnie talks about how well do you know your students? How well do you know their assets? What do you have to say about them? But for you to even know those things, you've required those students kind of make themselves available to you. And so if I want to know about my learners, they have to make the decision to share. Right. Right. Because if vulnerability is presenting your true self, we want to know where our learners are, what they understand, um, and what they don't understand yet, right? Yeah. 
So that seems like that brings us right to the next idea of vulnerability that, again, comes directly from Brene Brown, is that learning requires vulnerability. So you're using Jeff Crawl's book, what's that called again? Yeah, Necessary Conditions. And you've talked about that that's one of those ideas of creating space, academic space, where learning and vulnerability can happen. Do you want right. to say a little bit about that? He structures his ideas about teaching with uh, kind of quality tasks and effective facilitation but the first thing and the principal thing is academic safety. Mm. And it's so complicated, right? What all comes into that? Uh, our learners have had lots of years, depending on what grade we're teaching, of academic experiences beforehand, you know, where they had maybe learned that, you know, this is not a safe space or mm. a brave space or a place to be brave, mm -hmm. right? This is hunker down and get through it. Right. But learning requires vulnerability. Um, both I, on so many levels, right? On the individual level from the learner to the teacher, right? So the teacher has to be able to assess and understand what I know to be able to f facilitate me growing in my understanding. In the communal class of, you know, we both, I think, believe so much learning happens in discourse. Mm. and But that discourse isn't going to happen if people aren't willing to genuinely share their ideas, mm -hmm. which uh, connects, again, back to Mandy and kind of that willingness to express something in the hopes that it's going to be revised, that it's going to mm. be refined, that mm -hmm. it's going to get deeper and stronger and more accurate, more powerful. Right. That really reminds me of one of the books we do have on the table, um, Brian Camborn's whole story, an approximation, this idea of approximation. Yeah. So do you want to say a word about approximation and responsibility and there are so many others he's talking about this idea of, of learning language he's applied it into reading and writing it's also been applied to mathematics but it's this idea that people are willing to and we post you this language right give it a go yeah right? try it out approximate know that we're not going to get it right the first time right. and that in doing that we're in a space to be able to learn from that experience yeah but we're never going to know those things if the learners aren't free to be vulnerable right and which requires us being vulnerable right i guess that's a, a good transition then into this idea of so how do we support vulnerability in our classrooms i like this because ted starts out professionally he's very vulnerable mm -hmm. but it turns out right that he's bearing a lot of things uh, very deeply internalized that he's not sharing with anybody mm -hmm. and he doesn't want anybody to know and it starts to become visible right the the consequences of it become visible to the people around him Mm -hmm. And he has an intense scene with the therapist, Dr. Sharon, on the show, where he finally is able to express his inner thoughts. But it's in response to her having been able to express um, what she was experiencing and what she was feeling and thinking. I mean, this becomes circular, right? Because we were talking about that in, in the first bit about thinking about vulnerability creates belonging, mm -hmm. right? And that... Uh, that the relationships that come from that belonging kind of enable more vulnerability, which then creates uh, a growth cycle. Right. It's, again, an example of where we in classrooms, if we can think about how we can share our own selves with our students, and that's often not encouraged, but it's so important. 
It reminds me in the book that Kathy and I are writing, uh, Designing Math Adventures, we interview a middle school math teacher who talks about, she's not using the language of vulnerability, but she's she's doing just what we're talking about. So she, she's teaching a lesson on proportions. She talks about how she was boring herself <laughs> as she was teaching this lesson. And she could That's tell- That's quite a admission. Yeah, and she, well, but it goes farther. She's like, she could tell she was also boring her students and she came out and admitted this. She's like, I'm a boring myself. And so, so there's the first step, right? She's, she's admitted something. She's, mm-hmm. she's shared something. She's been vulnerable in that way. She goes farther. She just recently watched um, British uh, Bake Off, mm-hmm. and there had been an example. In- not necessarily a show that encourages vulnerability. No, no, no. <laughs> that's not where I'm going. But there had been a, uh, an episode where one of the contestants had, had made a mistake in measuring because of some issues with proportions. So she was, again, vulnerable that she's watching this show, and right. she shared the show with them, and, and it became a whole thing. And as a result, so this was part of a, a coaching conversation that, that Kathy and I had with the teacher. We talked about where she wanted to go. So how do, you, how do you make sure that these moments don't just happen because you happen to have watched some reality TV show uh, a couple of days before? Mm-hmm. And she talked about what she wanted to create a not math bulletin board where she and her students could just put up things that she they think aren't related to math, and then they could spend the semester looking for opportunities to make connections to math. Oh, and I love that she's making that kind of space. Yeah. That's interesting, right? So even just having, I wasn't thinking about this at a time, but we think about that maybe being okay with younger kids, but with middle schoolers, right, you know, where they are, um, boy, that's really gonna take some kind of reconnecting with um, that earlier self. And Dr. Horn talks about that in Motivated. She gives lots of examples of the teachers that she worked with, most of them secondary teachers, who were making themselves available. They were showing up and they were sharing who they were. Yeah, so powerful, the stories. Megan bringing her love of beagles into the classroom and and the wall of pets. Yeah, and Fawn Wen's excitement about ducks. Oregon Ducks. Yeah, okay, let me make sure that's clear. So so let's hear how some other teachers are doing it. Yeah, let's please. Crystal Frommert has over 20 years' experience as an educator in secondary schools. She's taught math, computer science, and social justice. She has also served as an instructional coach, school board member, adjunct college instructor, technology coordinator, and assistant head of a middle school. We have a great guest today, Crystal Frommert. Uh, Crystal, would you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, I'm Crystal Frommert. I am so glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me on the show. First and foremost, (laughs) I'm a mom. And then secondly, I'm a math teacher. And then thirdly, I'm a huge fan of Ted Lasso. But I'm a math teacher. I work at an international school in Houston. And I love where I work because I have kids from so many different cultures, different languages, different backgrounds. And uh, I teach uh, middle school there and have really great kids. And I am so excited to talk about how Tad Lasso's lessons can be incorporated into what I do in the classroom every day. Besides all that stuff, you're an author. So you, you write regularly for Edutopia. Yes, uh, I, write, I write for Edutopia. I write for independent school management as well. And I do have a book coming out. I don't have a title just yet, but I'm working with a publisher uh, called Road to Awesome. 
And I'm very excited about this because we are in the editing phase right now. The book is completed. The topic of the book is helping educators connect to parents, connect with parents. That was one of my first Edutopia articles because I find that there is a reluctance with teachers to reach out to parents because sometimes the relationship has been a little bit rocky with some, Mm -hmm. but there are ways that you can foster that partnership and it is crucial to the success of our kids. And um, I just offer, it's a short book at offering tips and strategies for developing that partnership. Oh, that's terrific because I'm a teacher educator and we know that's important. It's a part of the, the standards we're supposed to be teaching to, but there's so little opportunity for that. Right. And right. I do have a chapter about that, about uh, pre-service teachers and what kind of experience do they they get with, because usually if you're a student teacher, your supervising teacher is going to be the one who's handling the tough stuff with parents. Um, And so I have a chapter on that as well that I think pre-service teachers would really, and and educators like yourself would would really like to read. So our theme for this episode is vulnerability. And you had some thoughts about that. Like, how does that show up as on the teacher side or on the learner side? I'm a follower of Dr. Brene Brown. She's a fellow Houstonian like I am. And I have read her books and I've seen her talk. Um, And I love everything she's been saying for the past decade or so about her studies on shame and vulnerability and how vulnerability is actually a strength. And I bring that into my classroom. I I show, and, and with my colleagues as well, you know, I show them that I am human. I make mistakes. I, I certainly make mistakes. I'm, I'm, I tell my kids, hey, I'm, I'm pretty good at math. You know, I've been doing it a long time. I'm good at it. But there will not be a day that I do not make some sort of mistake with it. Um, and I'm okay with that. And I think that by starting off my school year with that message with my kids, they see that, okay, yeah, like I can be good at math too. And at the same time, make mistakes with math. And, and that's why I asked them to show me all of their, their work. I, you know, I know that there's some students who, you know, dig their heels in and say, why do I have to show my work? I can do all of this in my head. And I rationalize with the kids. I want you to show me all of your thinking, because if you made a mistake somewhere in there, you know, you misadded or you forgot a negative sign, something like that. I want to see what you do know. And I want to follow that error through and give you all the credit that you can earn for that particular problem. Because if you did it all in your head, which I'm sure you can, but you might make a mistake, but I can't see it. You can't turn your brain in, you know, and they, they giggle at that. And so I think it's important to be transparent with the kids about why are we asking you to show your steps? Why do we ask you to communicate your thinking? Um, and I, I recently ha- had an article come out with Edutopia on taking snapshots and photos of students' work, their handwritten work. And I've been doing it for a long time and and just now realized, hey, maybe I should write something about it. But before I can put a student's image of his work or her work up on the, you know, the smart board, Promethean board, whatever it is, I have to establish a culture in my classroom that we celebrate mistakes, that we honor each other. We don't laugh at each other. We don't ridicule each other. And that, that starts with me. That starts with me showing them my mistakes. And I'm very, if you, if you read the article, I'm very careful about which mistakes are actually shown on the board. Nothing that would ever embarrass a student, uh, but something where they had a slight misconception and that slight misconception will help the class learn. And I, sure. 
I bring that in there and I say, I love that you made this mistake. I love that you thought that because now we're going to learn this way. Um, and that's why I decided to write the article. You mentioned that your students this year in particular are high achieving students. Yes. Um, do you think that that kind of vulnerability is more difficult for them? I do. I, I've been teaching a group of kiddos uh, in seventh grade for some years now that they come to me as seventh graders taking algebra one, which here in Texas, that is about two years ahead of a standard Texas curriculum. You know, there are many arguments in, in the math education world of can a student be ready for algebra? Can they be ready for the abstract thought at that age? I do believe yes. Um, but it's it's pretty rare, I think. I think it's rare for a student that young to be ready for that. But I do want to meet the needs of those particular learners. Um, so I have these kiddos in my class. They come to me, frankly, terrified to ever make a mistake. They expect 100s. They tell me their parents expect 100s, which sometimes that's true. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes they project that onto their families. But um, these kids have always been top of their class. They're the fastest or the brightest. They never make mistakes. And if they do, sometimes they literally will break down and cry. And that breaks my heart because before they're mathematicians, they are 10 year olds, 11 year olds, they're little kids. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, with these, with these kids, I start off my school year uh, very intent, you know, intentionally showing them that I make mistakes and I want them to make mistakes. And they look at me like, what you want me to make mistakes? <laughs> yes, I do. Because if you're making mistake, that means I pushed you a little bit beyond what you are ready for. And that's my job. My job is to push you. And I said, can you imagine if I gave you tests and you knew everything on it and you gave you a quiz and a homework with, you knew everything. Why would I give you that if you already know it all? And that changes their thought process of like, oh yeah, I'm not here to show you. I know everything. I'm actually here to, to learn. <laughs> so um, I have a unique situation. It's, it's, it's a blessing that I have these wonderful kids that, that love to learn and they love math. And, um, but I also have to recognize their little kids who need to embrace mistakes and not expect themselves to be perfect. So it's a, it's a great combination of a class that we have. Yeah. It, it reminds me a lot of that fixed mindset, growth mindset. Uh, research that shows it's it's not just people who have kind of negative math um, perception of themselves who have fixed mindset. A lot of times it's those kids who have been so successful that kind of get into that fixed mindset. And, and like you said, it's scary to possibly show that you're you you don't have the answer to this one. I love that you said that because you're right. It's not just our students who struggle with math who who tell themselves I'm not good at this. And um, I've started doing something new this year. Every year I try to do something a little bit different and in innovate a little bit. This year I've decided to give them a choice of their weekly assignment. They have a weekly assignment that is algebraic concepts of processes of distributive property, adding negative numbers, things like this, right? But they have a choice each week. Do you want to do the weekly practice, which is straight up practicing processes, or would you like to try the problem of the week? And so every single week that my, my whole goal with this is to show them a growth mindset that 
you know what? Maybe this week I'm not ready for the problem of the week. That one looks a little bit out of range for me. So I'm going to pass on that one this week, but you know what? Next week I'm going to tackle it. And I want them to make that decision for themselves each week and be all right with it, whatever their decision is. And both decisions kind of require that vulnerability, right? Mm -hmm. Being willing to say that you're not ready for it as well as tackling something that you don't know how to do. Right. Like give it a try. You know, there's no penalty. Give it a try. If this is not your cup of tea this week, that's all right too. We're in our last week of the semester uh, working with my future secondary teachers. Uh, Our textbook is uh, Necessary Conditions from Jeff Crawl, which is this terrific book that really centers academic safety. But during the discussion, it came up, uh, well, what would you do if you're working with a kid and you make a mistake? It is scary at first when you're, when you're a new teacher, I've been in that situation too, where you just like, oh no, they're going to think I'm an idiot. I don't know how to do this problem. But over time with experience, you learn like, okay, they don't really notice you that much anyway. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think teachers can do to kind of cultivate that vulnerability in themselves? It takes a lot of practice. And I think it starts with themselves. Like, like the the nature of your question is asking it. It certainly starts not with the kids, but with the teacher, him or herself that know that it's not the end of the world. I love the question of, you know, will this matter five minutes from now? Will it matter 10 years from now? Will it matter hundred years from now? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I miss add in a math problem, it certainly will not matter even five minutes from now. Like it's not that big a deal. Um, and if, but if I make it a big deal, it will be, if I say, oh gosh, guys, I, you know, I'm learning how to add four plus two and they chuckle and I chuckle at myself. Uh, but that certainly takes practice. It's not going to come overnight and also be forgiving of yourself when you're not forgiving yourself. Right. So if you (laughs) are hard on yourself that day, you're, you're learning, you're learning just like your kids are give yourself compassion that, man, I was pretty rough on myself today, but tomorrow I'll try again. And um, it it, takes practice to have self-compassion and to show that strength through vulnerability. And also if I don't know something, like I remember there was a kid, brilliant, brilliant kid. It was asking me something about rational functions. And I I didn't know. I just was said, well, you know what? Is it all right if I get back to you tomorrow about that? Because I'm not really sure the best way to answer you. And she said, yeah, that would be great. Thank you. And so what, what I did was I honored that and I looked it up and showed her where I found the answer. But the fact that she had known me for so long, she knew I knew a little bit about rational expressions because I teach it in my class, that it was okay that I said, that part I'm not sure about, let me research it. Um, So I think that's how a a new teacher could get used to the vulnerability part, but it is scary and just know that it's going to be scary for a little while. And I always think those moments are so confirming for the learner. Your student came up with a question that that, that even you didn't know, that's a real moment of empowerment. And it shows her that if I ever asked her a question that she didn't know the answer to, she has the same right that I had of saying, you know what? I'm not really sure. Can you come back to me? Mm-hmm. All my kids have that right in my class to, because I model that, that if they're like, you know what? Can you give me just a minute on this one? Absolutely. I'll come back to you. Um, I don't push it. I just, if they, if they're open with me, I'm open with them. You mentioned kind of briefly, I don't know if you want to say anything more about it, about kind of a strength and vulnerability. When my daughter was very young, I used to read these storybooks to her called Franklin. And he was about a turtle. And I don't know yeah, if you I remember Franklin. Franklin. Books. I love Franklin stories. I think it was PBS perhaps, but Franklin was scared of something and he defined, he said, it's 
being scared of something and doing it anyway is what being brave is. And I remember reading that story to her and I used that with her, you know, growing up and I use it with my kids and I use it with myself that if something is scary, but I proceed anyway, then I'm brave. And um, that's how vulnerability can, can transform into strength. And gosh, that was scary, but I did it anyway. Um, you know, thinking about taking a college class that frightens you, that's okay that it frightens you, but you were brave because you signed up for it and you gave it a try. Uh, with my kids, with that problem of the week I was talking about where, you know, gosh, that was a pretty tough problem of the week, but you tried it and you were scared of it and that makes you brave. I also think back to, I, I used to be an instructional coach way back uh, in the day and I would work with teachers and help them with their instructional practices. The person who trained me to be an instructional coach, he said, you don't want to show any vulnerability when you're an instructional coach. And I was like, whoa, that's not what Brene would say. You know, yeah. <laughs> I was like, hold on. You know, that's really shocking. I know. I was very shocked by this. And I, you know, I was the trainee and he was the trainer and I, I pushed back a little and I said, you know, I, I'm going to respectfully disagree with that because I have to show that the teacher that I'm working with that. I do have a vulnerability as an instructional coach, just like they have a vulnerability of doing something new and innovative in their classroom as a teacher. And he was very respectful with, with my pushback, but he had come, come to the training as you got to come in there as the expert. You got to come in there strong. You got to come in there confident. Well, sure, but no one's perfect. And just know that there's room for vulnerability because if we're rigid, we'll just snap. Right. And so you got to have some flexibility there. Well, I'm glad you pushed back. <laughs> so, I was scared of you, but I did it. So I was brave. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Now, uh, you just mentioned when we were chatting a little bit before, but there might be a gender component to this as well. I know that Dr. Brown has done some research on that as well, and I don't have anything specific to cite, uh, but she has mentioned, and I know there's other research that, that others have done that support that men, some, or, or maybe many, <laughs> grow up. Uh, with the whole idea of man up, dry your eyes, you're okay, don't show weakness, the, the bravado uh, attitude. And I think that's damaging to boys and men in our society. It's damaging in general to our society that men have to show vulnerability. If they are going to grow up to be fathers, they're going to be uh, you know, members of a family, they're going to be working in corporate, they're going to be working in, in organizations. There is vulnerability that's, that works with all of those roles in your life. I think that we're headed toward, well, we're not headed toward, we're already there. Many men suffering in silence from mental illness because they don't have the voice or they don't know they're allowed to have the voice to say, this is hard, or I'm not good at this, or I need help. And I'm not a man myself, so I can't speak to that personally, but I think there's a lot of research out there that supports that, that we have to show boys and teen, teenage boys, it's all right to say, I don't know, or I need help. Well, and as a teacher of boys, um, I'm sure that that's on your mind. Yeah. Is there anything we haven't addressed? You know, it's just, it's really important to me. And if there is any way that I could share a message to the teachers who are just graduating from university or, or just coming into the classroom within their first five years, 
I, I want to go back in time to my early teaching self. I, I call her the baby teacher. I, I tell the kids back when I was a baby teacher is what I tell the kids mm -hmm. and show them the mistakes I made. But I want to go back to myself and to the young teachers when uh, and say, you know what? It's it's going to be all right. It's going to be fine that you make mistakes. There's going to be hard days. You'll get through them. And I, I love that what you're doing with your classes, that you're talking about that, about what do you do if you make a mistake in front of the kids? You correct it and you say, yep, I made a mistake. I'm sorry about that. Move on. But I don't know if if our teachers who are just starting out know that. And I, I want to spread that message out. On the show, Ted is just amazing at coming up with uh, these questions out of the blue that kind of give him an opportunity to connect with people. So this one isn't directly from the show, but I think in a similar spirit. So do you have an educational book you, you wish more teachers would read? I do. It's uh, it's called Building Thinking Classrooms uh, by Dr. Peter Liljadal out of British Columbia. This book really does highlight my own vulnerability I was scared to do the things that are in the book. To general, to generalize the the message of the book is, and I hope I'm not oversimplifying it, but you're getting the kids out of their seats. You're getting them at the whiteboards or some kind of vertical non-permanent space. And they're working and problem solving in groups and uh, talking about math. And, and you're shifting the focus away from the teacher doing the thinking and the talking to the kids doing the thinking and the talking. I love the whole end goal, but I was a little bit afraid to do the steps that he was suggesting in the book. Luckily, he does break it down in the book that, you know, just try these three at first and then try these three and then try these three. So I've been doing that this school year. And yeah, I stumble. Yeah, I make mistakes. I tell the kids, oh, you know, I'm trying this out. I'm reading this book. They are loving it. So there's so much richness in this book about how to get kids thinking. And that's why it's called Building Thinking Classrooms. So that is my favorite book right now. And then when my book comes out, I would say that's going to be my book. <laughs> <laughs> I, will, I will definitely be looking for that. Well, thank you so much for being our guest on the podcast and uh, really appreciate your time and your work in the uh, for the profession as you write and kind of share uh, your process and your journey. Um, well, I really appreciate it. Thank you for re reaching back out to me too and, and taking a chance on somebody you're like, I don't even know you on Twitter, but I, I think it's been a good connection. Dr. Raj Shah has a PhD in physics. After working nine years at Intel, Dr. Shah left to pursue his passion of introducing kids to the joy of mathematics. Since then, he founded Math Plus Academy, co-founded the Global Math Project, and contributed to the Reveal Math curriculum. Welcome. We are so excited today to have Dr. Raj Shah with us. I know from our interactions, Raj, on social media that you're familiar, dare I say, a fan of the show. Our theme for this episode is vulnerability. So what are some examples of vulnerability that stand out for you from the show? I feel like there's vulnerability in every single episode, which is maybe the reason I love it so much. But in terms of like standout scenes, there's a couple. I think the end of season one where uh, Rebecca has to confess to Ted Lasso that she's been sabotaging the team for the entire season. And you can see her go through the process of like knowing she's done something wrong, coming to terms with her herself but then really trying to avoid the last step, which is to actually tell him to put herself out there and say, yes, I did all this crummy stuff. 
So one of the things that we like to do is think about, so what if we were in Ted Lasso's shoes or what if we were at least in Ted Lasso's universe? And one of the things that he does fairly early, he gets mm. all of his players a book. Our question to you is what book or books would you feel like would be a book that you'd want to share with educators? The book I think that really has spoken to me the most lately uh, one of them is Building Thinking Classrooms, which probably a lot of people who listen to this are going to know about. So I'm going to go a little off script here. I'm going to go with Good Inside mm. by Dr. Becky Kennedy. Have you heard of this book? No, I have not. It's a parenting book. My kids are older, a little bit older now, but I wish I had it when, you know, from the beginning. It's mostly written. The examples, I guess, in the book are mostly about toddler to like teen age examples. But the premise of the book is every child every human being i guess is good inside mm -hmm. and when they act in ways that we don't like we don't approve of break the rules misbehave whatever word you want words you want to use for those things what's really happening is they're experiencing some emotion that they can't process and then that comes out as whatever the tantrum that i hate you you never let me do this whatever it is the kids say that can be, it might be hurtful in the moment. Although if we're strong inside, we realize that this isn't about me, you know, to take it back to the, the example we just gave, right? Ted Lasso knows that Rebecca's not trying to hurt him. She's broken. And that's where all that comes from. So in a sense, this book is, is all about that. And then it gets into like, how do we understand, how do we first absorb what's being fired at us? and breathe through it and then realize okay step one this person is good inside step two what emotion are they experiencing step three how do i help them process that emotion and she does a really nice job of explaining that you can do all of these things without because a lot of times people will say well that's kind of soft you know like we don't have rules we don't have boundaries nobody's going to learn anything and she does a really nice job of saying, no, you can do two things at once. You can acknowledge the feelings and help them process that. And you can have strong boundaries. Yes, there are certain rules, you know, things you can't do. You can't curse in class. You can't hit people. You can't, right? We're going to still have those boundaries, but I'm going to also help you process your feelings. And to me, in the same way that, you know, I love be curious, not judgmental. Uh, I think that is a mantra for everyone in every aspect of their life. I think good inside is also for everyone in every aspect of your life. It's not just parenting. It's for teachers. It's classroom management, right? Or even how you deal with your administration. Mm. You know, they're not treating me right. Well, why aren't they treating you right? What's going on with them? You know, like just to take that step back and realize that deep down, everybody's good inside. I love that, Raj. Thank you. So I would encourage our listeners to go to your website, Dr. Raj Shah. You have all sorts of media appearances, podcasts, things like that, a TED Talk, where you talk about gamification, where you talk about, like you said, getting kids to be curious, productive struggle. But today, we're going to get try to go into a little bit of uncharted territory, maybe. So what do you think it means to be vulnerable in teaching and learning? For me, it's sharing your authentic feelings about any given situation. And that doesn't mean you have to be sharing all the time. Right. But as an educator, I think about, you know, talking about my mistakes, talking about my, my life path, even 
what are the things that went well? What are the things that didn't go well? And not again, not all the time, but when it seems appropriate to a particular conversation that we're having. I just started teaching or I just finished teaching my first math methods class to 17 pre-service teachers. And I know, well, we all know that the students that I had in my class being in their 20s are dealing with a lot of like anxiety, stress, depression, all these other things. And we definitely know that this is sort of whether it's caused by social media or the world around us or whatever, there's a lot of this going on with with kids of all ages. And, you know, sometimes I just go in and say, you know what, I had a bad week. Mm -hmm. a bad week. I don't need to tell you every detail about why I had a bad week, but I just want you to know that I try to put on a good show when I'm here because I want to give you everything I have, but deep down there's stuff going on. Mm -hmm. And I think that's being vulnerable. That's letting that, and that give the beauty or the power of it is I think in this case, in a teaching and learning setting is you're giving them permission to feel those things too mm-hmm. and not to judge themselves for those feelings. Like it's okay. It's okay to come to class. Not a hundred percent. It's okay to come to class stressed about some other thing that happened in your life. And from time to time we can acknowledge and talk about it. How did that go in the classroom then? What, what did you notice as you, as a result of you being authentic? I will say this. It was very scary for me to put that stuff out there. And a younger me definitely would have like stayed away from that. My job is to teach them how to teach math. That's it. Come in, do my job, walk out. But this semester, I don't know. I I just, I saw them more as like individual human beings. And I tried to really get to know them. I think being vulnerable also helps you build your community. Mm. The thing that I probably learned the most this semester from them is the power of community. And the way we built it was talking about things and it didn't have to always be talking about math. You know, we spent a few minutes every day, just having a conversation. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Right. Mm -hmm. You know, first concert, best concert. But what's the purpose of that? The purpose of that is to connect. Right. And when you share those things, you may end up sharing some vulnerable piece of, of yourself, your experience or your feelings right in that process. I really feel like that made all the difference. So how do we help teachers to go from, you know, being concerned about how something, how a lesson is going to turn out to be able to taking a risk and giving it a go? Because you work in classrooms, you work with teachers. How do you help them to, to sort of navigate that, that uncharted territory? It seems like such a simple answer, but you have to model it. You have to show them what it, what it's like. So I, I, every time I give a presentation or do PD, I always share my struggles, my whole, this, you, you mentioned, you know, my thing about video games and what, what teachers can learn from video games, which is what most people, when they, when they hear my name, that's probably what they think about. But that all, that all came from sitting in front of a room of students who most people would call gifted. I don't like that word. So I try not to use it and giving them a rich task and they didn't do anything. They didn't engage in it at all. And then before I knew it, I had done the whole problem for them. And I was like, look, look, look how cool this problem is. You know, like, look at my performance. Uh, And I I went home and I was like, you, they didn't learn anything. Why didn't they learn anything? 
And then that's a, that's what set me on the path of like learning about video games and what we can learn from them and whatnot. But I always share that story because out of that failure, right, comes something, right? If you decide to keep going, then you're going to learn something and that's where it. So I think you just, you, you have to show people what it looks like. Maybe helping people see that they can be vulnerable in other places. And if vulnerability is just putting it out there for the world to see and being okay with the judgment that comes back or whatever feedback it is that comes back, people probably do that in many places in their life. And then in a professional capacity where the stakes are much higher and you're being graded by your test scores and all this other stuff, you may feel like you don't have the permission Mm -hmm. to do those things. As I think about this too, I have a third, a third thought, Mm -hmm. a third idea, I guess a thing that we crafted in our class, the, the methods class this semester was because I showed them be curious, not judgmental. You can't not show them the dart scene. Mm -hmm. And we started saying our class is a no judgment zone. And I think no judgment zone goes so well with vulnerability, right? Mm -hmm. Why we don't want to be vulnerable, we're afraid to be judged. We don't feel like we're strong enough to take the judgment and absorb it in a way that isn't painful, right, to ourselves. So if you can craft both of these things at the same time, they kind of fit. That is great. So you did this viral video, Why Math is Taught Differently. Again, I would encourage our audience to, to go watch that. You work with parents a lot, right? So how are you navigating that aspect of helping them to be vulnerable as well, taking some risks about thinking about mathematics differently? Where did that video come from? It came literally from a parent who walked into our center and was like, my son is learning this crazy math. You know, explain it to me. And she's like, I just don't get it. And I explained it to her. And I was like, you know, it's, you know, it it was two-digit multiplication, and they were learning partial products. And, you know, the, the the parent was like, why aren't they just learning the standard algorithm? And I showed it to her. And then at the, the funniest thing was at the end of it, she said, oh, well, that kind of makes sense. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I know. And then and then this is the best part. She goes, you know what? Actually, my son kind of likes the new way better. Mm-hmm. And isn't that fascinating that deep down she knew it in a way that it was making sense, at least to her child, but she couldn't handle the the, uh, the the cognitive dissonance or whatever of like, why it's different than the way I learned it. And where does that fear come from? I think mo- almost all of it comes from if they learn it differently than I did, I can't help them. Mm. As a parent, maybe I will get this all the way back to vulnerability. As a parent, what a terrible feeling to feel like you can't help your child. Maybe the next step is like having them realize like, that's okay. It's okay. Let's acknowledge that you can't help them because you, you can, right? But you may have to do a little bit of work. Not, you know, that could be talking to the teacher. That could be the searching some YouTube videos or whatever it is. You may have to do a little bit of work, but it all makes sense. I promise you, it all makes sense. And then letting your kid know, I think the best way to help your child actually is to not know the math sometimes. I try to com- comfort them. Like, it's actually a good thing that you don't know. Mm-hmm. Why don't you guys go learn it together? It goes back to your be curious. Have the parents be curious. Have the have the kids teach you. Have the kids share with mm-hmm. you what they know. You really want to build and be connected with your kid, with your mm-hmm. with, with your child. Mm-hmm. Learn it together. And um, what are you doing? You're modeling for them. 
that it's okay not to know it's okay to make mistakes and we'll figure it out together is i mean that's that's really what you should come out of your education with that right right that i am capable of learning anything if i want to and i'm okay with the discomfort of not knowing for now so we've dealt with teachers we've mm-hmm. dealt with parents what about kids you've mm-hmm. talked a little bit about you know that teachers need to model it but what are some other ways that teachers might help kids to begin start taking a risk i think if you're using things like now i'm going to tie it back to peter lillydale a little bit right if you're mm-hmm. using the some of the methods from building his book building thinking classrooms of visibly random groups and uh, vertical non-permanent surfaces aka whiteboards the beauty of some of these practices is they already naturally normalize the mistake making mm. and the risk taking especially if you're using non-curricular tasks to start with so you're not using something that has the fear of right and wrong answers that some kids can come to class with naturally based on their prior experiences you can craft the experience so that these things kind of naturally happen. And then once they've naturally happened once or twice, then you can build on that. And then you can call them out. Remember when we did this thing and you took a risk and it was wrong. I mean, it wasn't really wrong, but it wasn't the final answer. That's okay. We're going to keep doing that. Now we're going to do it in the context of mathematics. And what's so interesting to me in that, Raj, my my wife, uh, before she was the ed specialist, she was a first grade teacher. And I used to go into her classroom on a fairly regular basis. And I would walk away amazed that these kids thought they could do anything and they wanted to do it themselves. I was like, this gets taught out of them. And so when I work with my pre-service elementary teachers, many of them who've had negative experiences and and engage in a lot of negative self-talk about Mm -hmm. when it comes to mathematics, Mm -hmm. I tell them that this course, if nothing else, is meant to find that first grader. And I can't tell you the number of times where at the end of the semester, students will tell me this was like math therapy. And, and some of that means being able to, again, be vulnerable, be, be willing to share your entire self, not worry about, again, that language for me is not about mistakes, but it's just, you know, it needs work. Math therapy. Man, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. My students definitely, we all felt like that at the end of our semester. And you're making me remember the, the second season scene between Dr. Fieldstone and Ted, where he won't open up. And she finally realizes that, well, she gets told, but she has to be vulnerable first, even as the therapist to be vulnerable first and set the example. And then that's what opens or unlocks Ted. And the other thing I love about that phrase, math therapy, is so much of teaching mathematics is helping the student develop the student's identity as a mathematical thinker, mathematician, whatever, whatever term you, you know, means is meaningful for you. Yeah. And unwinding then so much of the, what many students are coming to you with, with all the baggage of the past experiences and the wrong answers and the bad grades and being told you can't do this and you're not a math person or thinking for yourself that you're not a math person. And so, yeah, man, most of our job is therapy. 
so little of the job is content. Well, like you said, you're hoping that they're developing the content on their own, right? The content is a vehicle. The content is not the whatever. I don't know. It's if not I was the, better with words, I wouldn't know which word to stick in there. <laughs> yeah, it's not the destination, right? Right? Yeah, yeah, it is the vehicle to do the exploring. You also said something earlier, which I think is important to maybe just amplify, which is, and kind of goes along with good inside, like, when we're really young, we are naturally curious. We are not afraid to make mistakes. We, you know, when you learn to walk, you fall down a million times before you can actually walk, right? You just keep going. You don't, you're not in your own head going, I'll never learn how to walk. I'll, I'm just not a, I'm not a walking person. Then get the walking gene, you know, like yeah, those thoughts don't even exist in that, in that little mind. And then as we grow up and we integrate into society and we fit into all these systems and whatever else, all these like, weird scripts and things that are not helpful to us end up inside of our minds. You've shared so much with us. Is there anything else you'd like to to make sure that we look into or are aware of? I, I, I maybe if I had a parting thought, it would it would just be along these lines of the thing that has become very, very clear to me is every human being has gifts. Some of those gifts are easy for us to see. You know, some some students walk into class and you just know, oh, they're really outgoing or they're funny or whatever. And it's obvious what some of their gifts are. And other people's gifts are like they're on the inside. You don't see them. Maybe it's like perseverance or, you know, whatever it is. And in that math therapy, I think my biggest job is to help you find what your gifts are and help you amplify them in the context of the, of, of, in this case, in the context of mathematics, but I'm more interested in how you make that happen for yourself everywhere. Appreciate you. Appreciate all that you've done for um, our community and look forward to uh, continuing these conversations. And I really do appreciate your, your willingness to explore some uncharted territory and, and yeah, this is great. You know, it's Every time you do something new, you learn something. Thank you. I appreciate it. Those were great. I was appreciative in particular how Crystal got me thinking about that idea of being vulnerable and our connections with family. I know it was just at the very beginning and I can't wait to read her book about (laughs) it. But yeah, that was powerful stuff for me. Yeah. And how much that hasn't been a part of my practice because of working with college age learners where they're distancing themselves from their families and... We're supposed to be working on that with our teacher candidates, but... And I think the colleagues is another one. We've talked a lot about how schools are silos, classrooms are silos, and so opening ourselves up to our colleagues. Yeah, yeah, I think it's uh, difficult to open up ourselves to colleagues because we have kind of multiple things going on at once. We have these formal channels where Mm. sometimes we're even being compared to each other. Mm. Right. And but then we've got these informal things and we know, you know, from so much research and our own experiences that teachers talking to teachers about the learning they see, that's how we get better. Right. Talking to our colleagues 
has the potential at getting at our professional identity and challenge it. Again, this is vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And uh, it always makes me think of the book, Thanks for the Feedback, in terms of how do we prepare ourselves to be able to take that feedback, to know when to apply it. Um, Ted, you know, when they're, they're calling him all sorts of names that we won't repeat on this podcast, <laughs> um, he, he doesn't take those seriously. Or at least it's not something that he's he's trying to to change anybody's mind, right? Mm-hmm. He simply goes about his business, and so so thanks for the be- feedback. Talks about so when do we take in that information and, and help us to learn and grow from it, and when do we just discard it? When yeah. do we just say, you know what, that's that's not going to be useful or helpful at this point. But having a tool like that can be helpful in terms of. Um, being able to be vulnerable with our colleagues. Yeah. So one of the tools that we have is the feedback capture grid that we've been sharing on social media. So if you have any feedback for us, we, <laughs> we're, we're asking, right? We're trying to be vulnerable. We've shared with you who we are and what we're trying to do, but we also know we can get better. And so if you want... <laughs> Which is... Evident to anyone who listens. That's right, yeah. <laughs> and we, we are so grateful for you listening. Well, I, you know, John knows this. I apologize at the beginning of every semester because I'll be better next time. And I'll be better next time because of the feedback and the input that my students give me. But as somebody who is a perfectionist, being able to instead sort of embrace this idea of graceful imperfection, I think is, is, is an important thing for me we're back to, to modeling these uh, these brand new teachers. It's just also a great reminder for me that that I can get better. So so make us better. If you've got feedback for us, put it in the comments. Put it on our uh, feedback capture grid. Um, you know, share it with us on social media. But we we are getting stealing from last episode. We're getting smarter together. Right. Good. Thanks, John. Thank you, Dave. Please check out our show notes for more resources. And then there's the example in Man City where Ted finally comes clean with the rest of the the Diamond Dogs and says, um, that he's ex- been experiencing these panic attacks right. and that when he left a match it wasn't because of food pet poisoning but because he'd had one of these attacks and that encourages or at least opens the door he's, he's not having he doesn't want everybody else to to share but everybody it, it provides space for everybody else to share examples of where there are things that that they've been keeping secret the following is an adaptation of a scene from Season 2, Episode 8. So these are great. Why haven't you made these like uh, for the previous episodes? Uh, we make them for every episode. Um, really? Yes. Was I supposed to be reading them? Yes. Uh, I wasn't reading them. I gathered that. Okay. <laughs> well... I do have to admit not everything's on here. There are some times where I keep stuff off, so it looks like I'm coming up with good ideas just off the top of my head, but I've actually been thinking about them for the whole time. Like planning them 
I'd plan, I, I, I knew where I was going to say him in here, but I just didn't put him in here. All right. Well, it was a surprise to me either way. <laughs> All right. Be good then. Okay. All right. Let's go Greyhounds. <laughs>